Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 93, the one about James Cameron and presentation storytelling, the strategy one-pager, graphic design trends, and the film Drive. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. And guess what? I'm here with a man on a mission, a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing, the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome all the way from France, Monsieur Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much. Or merci, as they say, where I come from. You've just heard from the man who is also on a mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the Marketing Finance Podcast and the host of the Rogno video series. I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, Pascal, we have got an absolutely jam-packed content-filled episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast today. I'm really excited about quite a lot of what we're going to be talking <laughs> yes. about. Even the news items, there's one news item which I am absolutely, absolutely in rapture about. But we're also going to be talking today in the film marketing section about a film which I wasn't sure I'd seen so I watched it again last night, or I, I thought I was actually going to watch it for the first time last night, but I did actually once I watched it, realised I have seen it before, and that film is called Drive. Mm. Ryan Gosling from 2011. Yes, a movie that has divided audiences and critics alike, but also, interestingly, the film marketing campaign has also divided audiences and critics. So can't wait to tell you more about it. Yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting. But we've got a lot to get through before we get to film marketing, Pascal. So I think we should start, as we always do, with In The News. And we begin with a report that online sales rose by almost one-fifth, 18% year-on-year on 16 January, also known as Blue Monday, which is often referred to as the most depressing day of the year, according to an old PR stunt by a travel company. Music streaming platform Spotify has become the latest tech business to confirm it will be laying off staff after its CEO and co-founder Daniel Ek admitted to expanding too quickly. Around 600 jobs will be affected as part of the decision, some 6% of the overall workforce. Okay, well, the UK's list of affluent families have seen their spare cash fall by £39 per month, a 8.3% drop as a result of the rising food inflation, inc including middle-income homes, are 40% worse off, Roger, each month, a 3.7% decline on the discretionary spend. And Tesco's chair is facing a backlash after accusing food companies of using inflation as an excuse to bump up prices further than necessary. John Allen told the BBC on Sunday it was entirely possible food producers were taking advantage of the poorest in society. Twitter is introducing a paid subscription more expensive than Twitter Blue. Elon Musk has tweeted, of course, that Twitter will be introducing a higher price subscription that will have zero adverts. UK marketing budgets continue to grow in the last three months of 2022, despite high levels of pessimism as marketers faced a recessionary 2023. That's from the latest IPA Bellwether report. A modest net balance of 2.2% of firms increased their total marketing spend in the fourth quarter of 2022. Now, McDonald's latest campaign, Fancy a McDonald's, hashtag Raise Your Arches, achieved an exceptional brand recognition score of 98, according to data from effectiveness firm System One. Now, the ad follows a group of office workers using a knowing raised eyebrow signal to communicate an invitation to get McDonald's food without saying a word, nor showing the food or the restaurants. And finally, Netflix outperforms subscriber expectations. The CEO announces departure. 
Netflix added more than 7 million subscribers in its fourth quarter as its content slate outperformed expectations in the last months of 2022. Now, Pascal, have you seen this McDonald's advert? I have. I have indeed, yes. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with TV ads, as you mm. know. So many of them are incredibly annoying. Um, in fact, a lot of our adverts are incredibly annoying. At the moment, every time I watch a YouTube video, I get this advert for life insurance coming on board, and, and it really annoys me because some of the stuff that they're saying in the advert is actually untrue, and I know it to be untrue. And I every time it comes up, which is like every time I watch a YouTube video, I feel I'm, I need to complain about this. But this McDonald's advert is absolutely brilliant. I really, really like it. And, you know, if somebody was to say to me, what's your favorite TV ad? I, I, I tend to go back to the 1980s, like the Smash mm. Martians or, or Shake and Vac, you know, do the shake end back and put your freshness back. But this advert, for some reason, just absolutely hits the spot for me. Um, as it, as you, as you said when you read it out, there's no real mention. Actually, there's no mention at all of McDonald's. I think they use the logo right at the very end, and somebody That's might right, yeah. mm -hmm. somebody might actually draw the logo on a post-it note. But the rest of it is just a load of office workers who look as if, to be perfectly honest, <laughs> like they're pretty bored with their with their life and somebody sort of just raises their eyebrows now the it, it's synchronized to the beat of this music and the music sort of goes bam bam like this and every time the music goes bam bam their their eyebrows go up up like that so it's bam bam and of course the eyebrows mimic the shape of, of the mcdonald's logo and one by one this whole office sort of does their eyebrow rousing thing and before the end of the advert they're all piling out the door obviously on their way to mcdonald's and and there's something quite joyous about it i, don't, I mean i hate mcdonald's food I, I i've never been for a long long time because it's just gr gruesome to eat but I, this advert absolutely hits the spot for me and and there's some beautiful flourishes in it as well pascal there's one bit where they pass by a meeting room there's a lady doing a presentation and the first shot shows her sort of with the with a flip chart behind her on the flip chart behind her are the words depressed and despondent and fed up bored and then somebody does the eyebrow thing and then the next thing they cut to her again but the flip chart behind her is elated super full of fun and all of this and and, and i think it's just an absolute work of genius now you're going to tell me you hate it I've hated most adverts until that one. So what I used to hate about McDonald's adverts, I mean, to begin with, I don't particularly care for their food, but also the, this, the experience. So um, a few months ago, we had a power cut here, so we couldn't cook. And we were kind of stuck and we didn't know where to go to eat. And eventually, because it was so late, the only option, because they opened late, was to go to McDonald's. And, and the whole experience was awful. You, know, you have to, you can't order at the counter. You have to use those <laughs> kind of ghastly touchscreen full of someone else's kind of dribbles on it. And yeah. and then you have to wait and they call a number and then they slap the, the tray on your plate and it's warm because it's taking too long to get served and so on. So the whole thing is 
awful to me. I've also really disliked the whole premise because this campaign, um, defensive McDonald's, that's a term, yeah, fancy McDonald's, has been going on for a few years where they were saying, you know, we're going to get families get together, we've got friends going to be together, we are the only, you know, option you have at the weekend and holidays and so on. <laughs> I used to absolutely hate those statements, but this one, back to actually the very first news item that I read about this idea of January being a tough month, you know, with moods and the news being so depressing around the world and so on. I think the, way, the fact that they went for something that was comedic was really, really good fun. I struggled to be honest with you to be happy as a purist of them using the oh yeah from yellow music from Ferris uh, <laughs> Bueller's day out, but you know I'll, I'll forgive that. Um, but in terms of the, the the concept of the storytelling and the build up and so on, and this idea of a movement of you know find a way to reclaim joyous moments, and yeah, I'll have to turn a blind eye to the find that a burger can do that for you. I think in terms of the execution, the, the tapping to the mood of the moment, but also moving away. From the claims of you know we are here to get your family to to be together or to kind of find each other again or friends i, I think that's a very very smart move indeed i'm still not going to go to to eat a burger but i think from uh, from the point of view of an advert that's going to be entertaining and not too disruptive in a way almost like when you go on youtube and i've complained about too many adverts we'll talk about twitter no doubt i think that um yeah w well done well done no it's good and and the rest of the news items today, I sort of noticed a trend as I was copying and mm. pasting them. On the one hand, you've got, we're in a pretty pickle at the moment with the cost of living crisis across the world. You know, people are struggling. And I think that's reflected in what the news is saying is that some some areas were seeing sales reducing. But it's also quite interesting that marketing budgets seem to be continuing to grow. Um, and the Bellwether um, you know, report that was highlighted there is saying that some firms are increasing their marketing spend. And I feel quite buoyant about this because it's one of the things that we've often said on the show that in a recession, you know, when everybody's cutting budgets, wouldn't it make sense to be the one that doesn't and to actually increase your, your uh, marketing budget. And maybe finally that penny has dropped, Pascal. Yeah, because historically, I mean, I was certainly in the receiving end of, you know, being called into the office to be told you have to find ways to reduce your marketing budget after it had been signed off, you know, that kind of things. Or, I mean, was it marketing and training, you know, the two things yeah, that people wanted yeah. to. Um, and, and and I think that clearly, clearly, people are understanding that you know to reduce your communication efforts at a time where people are making decision to buy less, whatever they buy will be born out of you know a carefully considered and informed decision. You've got to be communicating. You've got to be supporting you know the the, the customer throughout their decision making process. Yeah, it's it's good. It's good and. The other thing I wanted to mention was this whole idea of Blue Monday. <laughs> now, it says that online sales rose, rose by over a fifth year on year on the 16th of January, but that's not the news item. What I wanted to focus in on is this whole thing about Blue Monday. Because when you read the, the mainstream media now, Blue Monday is absolutely a thing. You know, everybody, mm. the people posting on LinkedIn, you know, it's Blue Monday today, but don't feel too depressed, you know, blah, 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 blah. People are sp put posting on Twitter, it's Blue Monday today, and we shouldn't be too upset because actually there's a lot of shit going on in the world. But to be perfectly honest, you know, we've 
we should have a positive outlook. But if you trace back, and you said this in the in the news item, Blue Monday was a marketing campaign. It was actually started by Sky Travel back in about 2020, no, 20, 2003, I think it was. Mm. Sky Travel ran this ad campaign, and it was called Blue Monday. And the whole point was to get people just after Christmas to book holidays. And it's one of those things that's become a thing, mm. even though it was originally a marketing campaign. So now everybody talks about Blue Monday as if it's genuinely, there's some genuine science behind the fact that the third Monday of January is the worst day of the year for everybody, blah, blah, blah. But it isn't. Any, there's no science behind it at all. It was a marketing campaign that everybody's adopted as an actual thing. And to me, that is rightly or wrongly proof that marketing can actually create change it's like you know you will do the hoovering in the house even if you're using a dyson you know i'm gonna go and hoover the house that was an example of a brand name becoming a, a verb wasn't it and blue monday has become a thing and i just think that it's remarkable yeah well i've got some insider information <laughs> for you because as you may recall i started my career in the travel industry mm -hmm. as a young marketing officer now, interestingly, Sky Travel essentially um, used a bit of an established kind of marketing sales technique that made it uh, both a PR stunt, but also backed by science. They actually got a professor from local university to do a formula as to why, you know, that the third Monday of the, of the year was the most depressing one. And it was all in, in jest. It was all a big joke. But actually, the scientific community got quite upset thinking, yes, how did, dare yeah. you? How dare you? Now, when we used to work in travel, um, we used to plan, obviously, uh, our special offers, our, our marketing campaigns. I used to add, it was way before the internet. So it was um, what we're going to put in the, in the newspapers, on CFAX, uh, and so on and so forth. And the calculation was that people would have had quite an, an expensive November, December, probably an expensive start of January. So they've been tightening their belts all the way to the moment they get paid at the end of January. So what you would do then is start to push your special offers the third week in January, saying to people, wow, what a terrible month we're all having. Treat yourself, you know, book yourself a holiday now and look forward to going to the sunshine in, in May and June. So we, we, it began this and then little by little, it morphed into something. And what Sky Travel did very cleverly saying, well, it's an industry-wide technique, but I'm going to give it a label. I'm going to start to really give it some substance and I'm going to have fun by asking a scientist to create a formula which was shared. And that thing just went like wildfire. And then other industries start to, um, it's a bit like, um, is it Black Friday, Cyber Monday? You know, yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it morphed yeah. into something very different. So then, then other industries said, oh, it's the most depressing um, week of the year because people have no money, therefore we need to do something. And it kind of got carried, carried away into, into something else. But yeah, that, that was something that was simply down to audience analysis behavior and thinking, well, they're going to get paid next week, as in the fourth week in January. Let's begin now to push the special offers so that when they want to buy the holiday because it's you know cold and it's wet and miserable in, in the UK in particular, then they'll choose us and not the others. Absolutely. So everybody who's watching, everybody who's listening, Blue Monday is an absolute con, a complete and utter con. We've all been had. Here's the thing. Blue Monday isn't a day in January. Blue Monday is an absolutely fantastic single by a group called New Order, and everybody knows ah, it. Yes. It's a do, 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 do,
do, do. That's all you need to know about Blue Monday. That was in the news, and I think we need to move on before I start um, embarrassing myself with my uh, singing abilities, Pascal. Let's go into content spotlights. In this part of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table a piece of content. Now, it could be a video, it could be a podcast, could be a, it could be anything, actually, couldn't it? It could be an article. So, Pascal, what have you got for us this week? Well, actually, uh, it is for you, uh, Roger oh. Edwards. I chose something that I know you would appreciate, but also by extension, our audience, of course. But it's all about, you know, your passion for simplicity, for, you know, strategic thinking and making sure that uh, whatever you do has an impact. So this is an article um, from David Finkel for Inc.com. And the title is as follows the one-page report you should always have on hand. And when you look at David Finkel's biography, being the author of The Freedom Formula, the CEO of the Maui Mastermind, there's also the co-author of Scale, Seven Proven Principles to Grow Your Business and Get Your Life Back, you understand that he's really driven by this idea of being a leader, but avoiding overwhelm or avoiding obviously burnout and making sure that you are building a business where you have space to do you know, other things. And this very short but very powerful article begins with him retelling this anecdote to working with a client who was complaining that to I suppose, you know, be informed to have their finger on the pulse and so on. They were in the receipt of many, many kind of um, activity reports from all the different departments that they would need to oversee. And there was a sense of too much information, having to struggling to keep up with, with all that data, and of course, making decisions at, at the end of it. And what David is recommending to that client in, the, in, in this sharing that suggestion to all of us is that really as a leader first and foremost you need to have this one page document and this one page document is a quarterly strategic action plan Mm. And what he's saying is that that one-page document is something that you need to read every morning, which I think is a wonderful suggestion, because all too often, you know, I've been in a position where we've supported a client, we put together an action plan, like you keep it super tight and, and easy to kind of uh, read again, but it's kind of read a couple of times and then forgotten because people then are caught into firefighting. So in this one page, um, David recommends that you put your top three priorities for the quarter and he's quite strict on the number three no less no more uh, the idea being that maybe if you can achieve more than three then you can crack the champagne but you should have a focus on those three priorities and he's talking about this 90 day spring which is a, um, a term that we've seen uh, before so on this one side of a4 you have three kind of priorities each one is clearly described in terms of uh, what it is and it's important and it's linked no doubt to the wider business strategy then the second element as well as description is essentially how you're going to measure success you know what does success look like and then the third element is are the steps you need to accomplish in order to achieve success and literally you capture that in plain english in simple terms so that you can read it every morning and retain it you can distribute that to your audience and is really really keen on that and then said so then you kind of ask your teams to do the same within their own department so each department that you know will be reporting back to you and having a contribution to the su successful completion of those three priorities will have their own top three. And so it cascades down. Now, the question is, I said, so do we stop tracking? Do we stop reporting? Do we stop measuring? Not at all, but what he's recommending is that the tracking and the measuring should be literally on an ongoing basis and put somewhere central where anyone can have a look 
at any time. So then you avoid this idea of, you know, at the end of the month, you're not been there before. Ah, I need to compile the report. It takes you days to compile the report. You then email it to the boss who hasn't got time to read asking you for the exact summary. And then before you know it, it's already the the start of the new month and you've not done things. So saying tracking measuring should be done on an ongoing basis, but it should be using tech, no doubt, should be accessible at any time. That's something that I really push with my customers. So again, it's not a particularly long article, I suppose, because it plays to the side of the one page, you know, strategic action plan. But I think this is perfect timing, you know, being the start of the year. And I myself have been talking a lot to my customers having a what I call a statement of intent, where at the start of each month, you state your intention in terms of your top actions or your top kind of goals, and you avoid essentially the lengthy to do list that is not particularly inspiring. And as some of our friends we know very well, including Tiana Wilson Bice will say the to do list becomes essentially the haven't done it list, which is just a source of more kind of you know feeling quite depressed and dejected. So um, there you have it, the one page document you should have on hand at all times. This is fantastic. And yes, as you know, I always bang on about strategy. And especially at this time of the year, I've had so many conversations over the last three weeks in the start of January with people just going straight into the tactics, you know, and nobody thinks about what are their goals, what are their um, measurements and, and, you know, what are their targets? It's just, oh, we need to do more blogging. We need to do more video. We need to be on more, more social media. We need to start doing TikTok, whatever the hell it is. And then you ask them, well, what's the strategy? And they, their eyes always glaze over. And then I suppose at the other end of the spectrum, you do have those people who do do strategy and this time of year is off often a time when they review that and they end up producing a 60 page 60 deck um mega strategy which nobody reads and then ends up being put on a shelf until they do the next one next year so this is absolutely ideal because it gets that sort of best of both worlds doesn't it it's it's something that people who don't really do strategy who should it mm. keeps it simple for them, but even for the people who do understand strategy and the need for it, but make it so complicated that this can point the way to making it simpler. So I love it. It's absolutely great and such a short article. And Thank you believe very much. it or not, Pascal, my content spotlight is also from Inc. All right, um, <laughs> website, which is which is good. It's also a very short article, believe it or not. And in the same way as that article that you just um, talked about, you said it was for me. This article, I actually think, could be for you. Okay, now, it's uh, it, the headline of this article is "Follow James Cameron's Storytelling Process to Build an Engaging." PowerPoint presentation. Oh, my God. I feel I should get the popcorn <laughs> and just relax and listen to all this now. <laughs> now, the article is by Carmine, Carmine Gallo. We've had Carmine Gallo's articles on Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast before. He's a great writer of articles, and they're always short. They're always to the point, but they always hit the spot. Now, we've talked about putting PowerPoint presentations together before. You know, some people create death by PowerPoint. It's just heading, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, heading, bullet point, bullet, blah, blah, blah 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 but really what this article is doing is saying and is reinforcing a message that we've been putting into the show for a long time a powerpoint presentation is just another way of telling a story and as human beings we're hardwired to react to stories that's why we love films so much that's why we love our 
uh, box sets and binge watching things on Netflix. We just love a good story. And the best presentations are stories rather than just loads of facts and loads of bullet points. So what Carmine is doing is sort of saying, what can we learn from the way that James Cameron, possibly one of the big, biggest and best film storytellers of all time what can we learn from him and he sort of talks us through the process that cameron went through to create the new avatar movie the way of water and he actually quotes cameron right at the start saying you know i love the innovative process but i never put that before telling a story so obviously the avatar film which i've not seen yet but by all accounts you know state of the art CGI, lots of um, technology involved. But even though you've got all this technology, Cameron never shies away from the story. So he spent a lot of the time on the writing of the story, spent a lot of the time thinking of the characters and their motivations. And that's very important when you're thinking about a presentation, because you might want to get somebody to buy from you in your presentation. You might want to get somebody to change their mind about something in your presentation. But how can you how can you actually position it as a story? So the three processes that James Cameron goes through that Carmine talks through is as follows. The first one is do the background research. So when they did the first read through of the storyline for Avatar, believe it or not, James Cameron gave everybody. 800 pages of notes that he had spent six months putting together about the fictional planet, the Pandora, the characters. And he then told the people, that's the background that you need to build the story on. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? 800 pages of notes about the background of the world that they were creating. That's longer than most books. That's longer than a Stephen King novel. It's incredible. So do your research. So that's the first thing you do. Before you even open PowerPoint, you've got to say, who's the audience? What are the challenges that the audience face? What do they need to know? And how do I connect with them on an emotional level? And that connection on that emotional level is going to be the story that you tell. Now, let's be perfectly honest, Pascal. When somebody asks you to do a presentation, most of us will just go straight to PowerPoint, we'll put a title in, and we'll start doing bullet points. But what he's saying here is don't do that. Go and you know, have a chat with the organizer of the, of, the, of the event that you're going to and absolutely nail what they're looking for, what the challenges are, who the audience is, what their motivations are. Do all of that research and, you know, create your metaphorical 800 pages of notes to craft the world upon which you're going to build that presentation. The second one, and this is the bit that I know that you'll love, is the building of the structure. And this is the age-old storytelling technique. So, of course, <clears throat> what James Cameron will do when he's making a film is create the three-act structure. Act one is the setups. Who are the heroes? Who are the characters? The backstories, the world, etc. Act two is the conflict. The hero 
faces hurdles, faces villains, faces challenges, and Act 3 is the resolution. And again, you can build that into the presentation. So Act 1 would be explaining the backstory, you know, what's the current state of affairs, what's the current situation with your company or your product. Act 2 is show the problem that the customer or the audience in the room at the event are facing and of course act three is demonstrate how your solution solves the customer's problems and you do all of this again before you even open powerpoint and the third one and i love this one is as well create storyboards you're thinking what powerpoint what am i going to create storyboards for but james james cameron is a talented illustrator. He sketches the scenes of his movie before he even picks up the pen to write the script. And his storyboards give the directors that visual flow in the narrative. And again, you can do this with your presentation. Storyboard it. You don't need to be a you know Rembrandt or a, an, an ace cartoonist. You can just draw stick men if you like. But if you visualize the three-act structure that we've just talked about, then you've got much more powerful tools at your disposal to actually tell that compelling story when you finally stood on stage. So what he's saying is do your research, do your three-act structure, create storyboards, and do all of that before you even click on the PowerPoint icon. Thank you so much. That was just absolutely <laughs> delightful and well done for you know your synopsis because it's not easy to summarize sometimes someone else's work. And, and for me, it's back to this idea of, you know, every so often, by the way, uh, thank you very much for including this because it made me feel so much better about the many time I mentioned film kind of uh, storytelling and, and film production in content spotlights. I don't feel as, as guilty anymore. <laughs> but more importantly, you know, you know, I've been claiming through, you know, two gigs of mountain podcast since 2020, this correlation between storytelling, um, you could argue public speaking and even management, you know, there, there's some interesting kind of correlation between the two that will make a marketer and business owner more successful in engaging an, an audience. And it makes sense for, if you want to understand storytelling, well, look where storytellers have been, have been working. If you understand public speaking, go there. If you want to understand even management, what I mean by management is idea of social networking via, you know, the internet, you know, go where people are organizing great events. And we've mentioned many in the news kind of PR stunt stroke, you know, audience engagement. And, and the more we do what we do, the more I am absolutely convinced that for you and I to, uh, for our audience to challenge, you know, the status quo, to bring lessons from other industries is exactly what, what, we are doing and we are right in doing it if i may and by the way i'm not suggesting for one moment that i am a better storyteller than james cameron but in terms of the act two the one that i mentioned to my customers is act 2a and 2b mm -hmm. which you'll see in, in many movies um, time and time again so in act two is obviously the the challenge and in act 2a you've got essentially the attempt at um, essentially uh, winning over, you know, whatever obstacle the villain over and failing. And in Act 2B, you've got essentially licking your wounds, recovering, learning from the mentor. And then in Act 3, you can go and obviously uh, win, you know, kill the dragon or whichever other kind of obstacles is in front of you. And I think that's important because then in business, what you can uh, retell for engaging the audience is stories of people like me who have attempted 
using other alternatives, well, actually your solution is so much better and you, you kind of flick on the role of, of the mentor. But um, great. And can I just say that, you know, a reminder for our audience, we never share, you know, I mean, I only discovered in the, this morning when I opened the document that you'd gone for ink.com. I think that's only the second time that we've chosen <laughs> the same platform. And, and indeed, I didn't know that you, you, you'd chosen the, this um, account of James Cameron's approach to storytelling, but I think it's wonderful. Yeah, it's fantastic. Two f great content spotlights this week, Pascal. So let's talk now about marketing tech and apps. So Pascal, tell me what marketing tech and apps delights are you bringing to the table this week? Okay, I'll just say I'm quite pleased with my selection. I mean, well, I shouldn't really self-praise, but <laughs> listen, it's... Um, it's to do with the way now I'm thinking about using um, apps and being creative. And can I just say, by the way, I'm getting really fed up now with people sending me adverts about using <laughs> AI. And I did get my first um, LinkedIn message um, of, from a chat GPT consultant. <laughs> don't bother. Don't bother. And if you wonder why, we can refer you back to, I think it was episode 91, where you and I reviewed ChatGPT in, in details. But today, it's about uh, an app that has an initial purpose. But because we are creative people and we can uh, apply lateral thinking, we can use it differently. So the first one is Scribe. And Scribe is a device, an online platform, primarily a laptop, that can capture slides, you know, pictures of a step-by-step -step guide. So maybe you want to, to, to show, for example, how to use PowerPoint um, properly. You want maybe to do a tour of Audacity. And the steps are captured as a still image, as a screenshot, and then you can add annotations. You can really make it for a, a lovely guide. And its primary kind of um, marketing push is to be used internally for onboarding of new staff, for that kind of things. But I'm thinking you can go beyond that because actually, if you are in the business of having to explain something or reassure, if you have FAQs on your website about how, for example, your payment system works, maybe you want to share you know, information as we are about how to use potentially an application, you can then end up creating some very interesting how-to guides very swiftly, very quickly, that also look really, really good. So Scribe began, if you like, as a um, tool for internal use and purposes. But actually, the whole point is, if you are in the business of explaining and capturing any processes, you can create those step-by-step -step guide for your marketing. Now, the second one is linked with Alexa. The smart speaker. I hope you don't have, don't have one, by the way, in the room, Roger. Otherwise, it's just going to start kicking. But so Alexa, um, owned by Amazon, um, what you can create as a brand are they call skill, skills, which I think is a very strange term, but there we are. And the vast, vast majority of people will use Alexa to consume the content or to ask for the news and so on. But buried into the depth of their website, blueprints.amazon.com, the link is in the show notes, Roger, you can actually use templates to create um, skills, but also content that can be then accessed by your customers. Imagine, we talked about the PR stunt earlier of Blue Monday, but imagine the reaction of your customers if you say to them, oh, by the way, here's the instruction for you to kind of, um, you know, tell Alexa to hear the latest news and updates from our business. 
How about if you were to link your WordPress blog and have Alexa read the WordPress blog? How about if you were to do some extract of your podcast and find a way using the template given to you free of charge by Amazon and then send that announcement to your customers in a press release saying, as of today, you can hear, you can kind of access our information via your smart speaker. And again, it wasn't really designed for that. You know, the whole kind of smart speaker Alexa thing wasn't designed for that, but it is our job to challenge the status quo and think about it a bit more laterally. These are great. These are great spots as always, Pascal. And it really made me laugh when you started talking about G uh, chat GTP gurus. <laughs> I've had the same thing. I've had uh -huh. the same thing. And isn't it amazing how a new marketing technique or a new app comes along within days there are people out there who are gurus in this whole thing and are writing courses about it and you know the world's just finding its feet uh, uh, this whole chat gtp thing is driving me insane i even did a very short episode of my other podcast marketing yeah. and finance yesterday saying to people for the love of god don't rely on chat gtp because it's cr it's creating bland average and mediocre mediocre content and bam is bam don't fall into the bam trap of chat gtp it's just it's just boring mm. you know as you say think about your content differently you've got to stand out and you've got to search out things like you've highlighted here rather than relying upon these ai pieces of tech now ironically there is ai involved in mm. what i'm going to talk about today i've as you know i subscribe to the adobe suite so i get premiere pro for video editing i've got um, audacity not audacity audition for um, audio photoshop and after effects etc etc and i've recently been emailed by adobe saying they are putting together something called adobe podcast and it's only in beta at the moment yeah. and you've got to apply to join it and i have applied I've, i replied to the email i registered so i don't have access to the full thing yet but it does give you access to some of the tools and this sort of just made me think about you know when i started doing the marketing finance man's podcast back in 2014 you know i was using skype to do my interviews wow. i was re recording the audio um via audacity and i had to create all these complicated wires to make sure that the audio came in the right place and i could record both things and of course over time you know i've gone through all of the stages of having a mixer and then having the audio cables which have all the you know the uh, the virtual audio cables that we've talked about on the show in the past and now if, of course it, it's come full circle and we're all really going back to doing all of this by software like zoom like we're recording this today on zoom and doing a backup with something like audacity or um, whatever it is but there are these it just made me go out there and, and just refresh my memory about how people are recording podcasts and of course the main one that people are using is riverside fm so it prompted me to have a look back at riverside fm because you and i did check this out didn't we, we in did. the in the early days of the of the um, two geeks and marketing podcast and it, and riverside fm can do audio podcasts it can also do video and we concluded at the time that the video wasn't very good and there was such a lag in the um in the audio that we just decided it wasn't a very good platform i from what I see is it, it looks a lot better now, as you would expect, 
it's come up to date. So I'm just highlighting that if you're looking to start a podcast and you're wanting to interview guests and you've got people in different parts of the world, then rather than messing around with Skype or Zoom and trying to get the audio balanced, something like Riverside FM is an option that you could use. But from what I can read, this Adobe podcast will be a similar thing to Riverside FM. So it allow you to hook up with people from wherever they are in the world and record audio, possibly record video, and then create the best sound. But for the purposes of today, the experiment that I chose to do was to test out this enhance feature that Adobe allows you access to before the full beta. And what they are saying to you is upload a piece of audio from your existing podcast and let our AI clean that audio up for us. So what I thought I did, what I did, Pascal, is I took a 10-minute episode of Marketing and Finance podcast. I thought it was a bit rich to upload an hour and a half for two geeks just for the experiment. So I took a 10-minute podcast, one that I'd already tidied up with Adobe Audition. So I'd already done a the a noise reduction on the background i'd already boosted the bass in my voice i'd already done a vocal enhancer and i'd already done a noise no uh, normalization at minus 3 db i uploaded this 10 minutes to this adobe podcast enhance beta and quite honestly what came back was remarkable you know i thought i'd done a really good job on my own audio but what came back was even better now Immediately, they, I, I recognise it added even more bass. So maybe when I do the um, the next the next one, I know there'll be audition. I might boost the bass just a little bit more. But it really did sound as if I was re had recorded this in a professional studio. So even if you don't want to sign up and use the Adobe Podcast uh, suite when it actually comes out, just have a go at uploading something and see how it enhances the sound i think you'll be really really impressed by what it can do thank you as well for the reminder about sometime going back because you now we did test riverside.fm i mean we tested so many i remember when we were kind of pre-production phase of two gigs and marketing podcast and and then you settle on, on on a formula that works for you but it really pays off to, to go back i mean only yesterday and i will bring it back next time for the next episode ecamm live released mm -hmm. version four mm -hmm. and i was watching the announcement which was good fun with the, with the founders the co-founders watching it live and I, I can't wait to tell you more in um, episode 94 because again there's an evolution there's a reaction to market forces to competition to changes in behavior and so on so it's worth your while um in fact you know our good friend Richard Turb would suggest that you should do an audit of everything that you use and then challenge yourself. When was the last time you actually even contacted the customer service to ask for an update or some help? Mm -hmm. um, I organized once a tour of, I think it was simply Zoom for one of my customers with the, the Zoom, uh, someone from Zoom UK, because um, I felt that they, they might actually pay more attention than me. It was as simple as that. And they were blown away by all the things you could do on Zoom that they had no idea about. So there you go. Fantastic. So Pascal, I think it's time for us to go back in time. So we're going to set the controls of the TARDIS. We're going to fire up the flux capacitor. We are going back to this week in history. 
1887, Groundhog Day, featuring a Rodan meteorologist, is celebrated for the first time at Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. In 1959, the day the music died, plane crash kills musicians Buddy Holly, Richie Valance, J.P. Richardson, a.k.a. the Big Bopper, and the pilot near Clear Lake, Iowa. <sighs> so sad. Now, in 2001, the IMAX Special Edition is introduced for the first time by Steve Jobs at the Max World Expo in Tokyo, describing the bulky yet brilliantly designed desktop computer as an entertainment center where you can create desktop movies, manage your digital music library, and burn custom music CDs. In 2004, a second-year Harvard University student launches the Facebook, an improved version of FaceMash, the very first campus-wide social network. By the end of the year, the site had one million users and Mark Zuckerberg had left university to run Facebook from its new headquarters in California. Now Pascal, let's talk mm. about Groundhog Day. Yes. And Groundhog Day takes place in a town called Gobbler's Knob and for watchers and listeners of Two Geeks in a Marketing podcast, Pascal couldn't say Gobbler's Knob in his um, reading out of this piece of history because we tried about five <laughs> times to do that and he burst into hysterics every time and it's probably going to feature in a blooper reel at some point. But I just love the story yeah. of ground the groundhog i mean when when you if anybody has seen the film of groundhog day you'll know that it's about this great big groundhog it looks like a gigantic rat doesn't it and they bring this thing out on the the third of february every year and if <laughs> the rat sees its shadow then it basically says there's going to be six weeks left of winter if the big rat doesn't see its shadow then basically spring is here and they made that whole film groundhog day where the same sort of events repeat yeah, each other and repeat each other beautiful repeat isn't it each other yeah. over and over what a great film but this whole groundhog thing has been going on for over a hundred years and it's called punxatawney phil is that the rat the groundhog is called punxatawney yeah, phil it's phil and it's it's amazing how a little i mean it's a bit of fun isn't it obviously it's a bit of fun it's a little um, ceremony that they do every year but people pile into this place to see this happen and we got one of the best comedy films ever i think out of this little ritual that started in 1887. You're right, talking about, you know, uh, good because people travel afar and stay, you know, for, for the weekend or the few days to witness the, the whole ceremony taking place in, in a woods um, not far from there. The um, now, according to the legend, this it's not a rat, by the way, it's a marmot. Um, <laughs> so people would be very upset with you in the US if they hear this show. But Phil um, has lived, it's the same animal since 1887 um, to begin with. Um, all others are deemed to be imposters. And you've got essentially I know, the mayor or the, the person in charge of the ceremony. And Phil whispers in the ear of the um, the person in charge uh, in his own language, but only this individual can understand yeah. the language of Phil and then announces whether or not there's going to be uh, indeed uh, uh, longer winter days or it's going to come to, uh, we're going to have an early spring. Yeah, it's, it's an enchanting story. I just love mm. it, it. There's a theme developed sort of completely accidentally in yes. this episode of the podcast about things that have happened in the past shaping the present and we just love that from our uh, this week in history but again mm. you know it's just folk stories 
that create films or create content. I just love it when this happens. So, so Pascal, tell me about the IMAX Special Edition. Ah, I mean, listen, th- this is really a quite an important event. Incredibly, uh, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, we are talking about something that happened more than 20 years ago now, whereby um, you had, obviously, from a consumer point of view, from a, you could argue from a success point of view, that the, the PC computer took over the, the, the office space, you know, and basically you had um, gray boxes on your desk with, with screens. And Steve Jobs and his colleagues, being who they are, went, no, we're going to go the other way. We're not going to go with sharp angles. We're going to do curves. We're going to do, we're going to add colors. We're going to make the office environment something that needs to be enjoyed, not be like some, some, you know, what you've seen sometime in movies. And, Interestingly, uh, at the moment with my wife Denise, we're having a bit of a 90s movies revival. We're watching movies from the 90s. And recently I watched D- Dante Speak with Piers Brosnan and Linda Hamilton. And sure enough, the scientists there to measure, of course, the, um, the activity of the volcano, one of them had the, uh, the, the iMac. So that, that was kind of interesting. But for me, it's back to this idea of, you know, the whole industry is going one way. And you could argue that on paper, it is very, very successful. You know, the, the sell of PC computers, as you and I've known them, is very, very, and you decide to go the other way. You're going to sell less. You're going to be probably derided by, by the industry, but you're going to stay the course because maybe at the time, Steve Jobs had a one-pay strategic plan. But, you know, th- this idea of being true to your values, to what you stand for and how you want to make a difference in the world, I, I think it's just a wonderful story. Yeah, it, it's 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 a it just shows that you need innovative thinking. You need something different. Before we finish this section, just an honorary mention mm. to Richie Valance, Buddy Holly, etc. The sad plane crash that was involved there again that produced a great movie in the end, didn't it, Pascal? La Bamba, mm. starring Lou Diamond Phillips, a great film about. Richie Valance becoming a very short-lived, unfortunately, uh, rock and roll star. Mm. Fantastic. So I think it's time to bring ourselves right up to date to celebrate some of the content creators in the present. So let's move on to our creator shout-outs. So, Pascal, who are you giving a shout-out to this week? Oh, I'm very pleased. No, we mentioned, actually, when we started the show, that January can be a tough month. You know, people mentioning Blue Monday and so on. For me, I've got a yearly ritual in January that really lifts my spirit to spend some time with Philip Van Dusen. Now, albeit watching one of his YouTube videos, but every year, without fail, Philip Van Dusen produces his graphic design trends of the year. Now, Philip is a creative executive, is a specialist in strategic branding and graphic design, and spent decades, I hope you want me, me saying that, in different sectors, fashion, you know, consumer, consumer industries and so on. And every year he does this thing, which is to kind of open minds to possibility. We talk about imagination, we talk about actual thinking and so on, and gives you a summary of the kind of graphic trends that you should be aware of, not necessarily to use them, but to be aware of because they might trigger something. And what Philip does, not only does it give you on this occasion the 15 graphic design trends for 2023, 
it goes through them in some detail. Sometimes it explains the origin of why you know it's been called in that way, or which industry it tends to be better for, and all this makes it for a almost like a mini documentary that you watch for you know just over ten minutes. And I think it's a wonderful thing you should have as a marketer, as a business owner, to understand the different form of communication. You've got a written word, you've got moving images, you've got sounds, but you also graphics the choice of colors and shapes are very very important just to whet your appetite and our audience as well i'm going to go through the 15 kind of um, trends that philip is, is mentioning in this video we have systematic we have mid-journey and ai collage holomorph we have literary inspired dark mode typo neoportulism we have 70s typography lensation geosimplicity cyber wave the blob vapor wave 3.0 global voice and Viva Magenta. Now, if that doesn't actually intrigue you to know more about those 15 trends, I don't know what it is. But for me, every year, I wait for it. And sure enough, it comes out in January. And I use it a lot, actually, in my training courses as well. Oh, Philip, yes. Um, we've met Philip at mm -hmm. the uh, Upreneur Summits. I yeah. think he's, he, he probably came to every one of the Upreneur Summits. And I've got a lovely memory because of the last Upreneur Summit that I went to, which was the one in 20. 19 i think it was 2019 yeah. yep and philip interviewed me for his podcast ah. and we did it really early in the morning of the second day of upreneur summits we found very difficult to find a quiet corner in that queen elizabeth center we did well in london <laughs> and we sort of basically hid around the back of a sort of um, buttress so that nobody could see us. And he had all his equipment. He had a little camera on a tripod. He had um, directional microphones and um, lapel microphones. And we we had a nice half hour chat about how to keep marketing simple. And what was absolutely glorious is that the sounds of the bells of Westminster Abbey actually started halfway through what we were saying. But rather than actually stop and wait for the bells to finish, we just actually let them carry on mm. because it was quite a nice back so that's a lovely little uh, uh, memory there of Philip. So what a great shout out, Pascal. Now, my shout out is somebody I've never come across before, um, but uh, it was just a random um, YouTube video that I clicked on. And you know, sometimes when you click on a video on YouTube and you go down a rabbit hole and start mm -hmm. watching this person, this guy is called Daniel Netzel. And he, he, he his YouTube channel is, is right up our street. He talks about films but he actually analyzes the structure of film. So you love this sort of thing, Pascal. He analyzes the storytelling. Sometimes he an analyzes the direction. Sometimes he an analyzes the production. But this video caught my attention, and it was about this film called Memento. Now, Memento is... Um, quite a difficult film to watch because it happens backwards doesn't it so the film's about a guy who can't retain his short-term memory so he forgets everything within a few hours and the whole film starts at the end starts and goes backwards in sort of five to ten minute segments and watching it is very very confusing but it's a masterpiece of storytelling and Christopher Nolan, who was the director, did an amazing job. Um, and he and he's known for his, his complicated films, um, with Tenet being his, his latest confusing film. But if you buy the DVD or the Blu-ray of Memento, there is an Easter egg, which is very hard to find, but you can actually watch the film in the right order, which is very, very interesting. But what Daniel does is he takes the 
chronological order of Memento, but actually explains why it's actually better to watch it in the way it was intended to, so that you can actually share in the experience of this guy and the fact that he can't make memories. I'm not going to ruin it for you, Pascal, because if you want to watch it, and I hope, I I really think you should, he actually suggests something that I hadn't really realized when I watched the film, that actually the protagonist of the film, the guy with the memory loss, is actually the main cause of his own situation. And it's quite a different take on the whole film. So Daniel Netzel, specifically for his uh, review of the chronological order or not of Memento, but once you've seen one of his videos, you're going to go and want to watch a load more of them as well. (laughs) Thank you very much. And you know, those videos are very hard to Mm -hmm. produce. I mean, you've got the you know, researched stage, you know, you've mm-hmm. got a compilation, no doubt, you know, it would be storyboarding, everything, scripting, everything. And then you've got the recording, then you've got the editing, the publication and so yeah. on. So uh, honestly, I, I love to support people like this because you and I are all too aware of the mountain of work that goes into something that we can then consume in, in minutes. Um, so thank you very much. Yet another one to add <laughs> to the watch list. Um, I just need to, to clone myself somehow. <laughs> so I suppose talking about a film like Memento leads us very nicely into the last section of the show, which is often the one that we get so hyped up about, Pascal. This week you're talking about a film that you've chosen. Let's move on into film marketing. Well, this week in film marketing, we're talking about a film from back in 2011. It's called Drive. The director was Nicholas Winding Refn, and it starred Ryan Gosling and Carey Mulligan. And it's an action-packed thriller mm-hmm. with a lot of stylistic stuff going on. So let's have a look at the trailer. If I drive for you, you give me a time and a place. I give you a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes and I'm yours, no matter what. I don't sit in while you're running it down. I don't carry a gun. I drive. So you just moved to LA? No, I've been here for a while. What do you do? I drive for movies. Is that dangerous? It's only part-time. You put this kid behind the wheel. There's nothing he can't do. Kid, I want you to meet Mr. Bernie Rose. My hands are a little dirty. So am I. My husband's coming home. Where is he? He's in prison. There's some guys that want me to do a job for him, and I'm not going to do it. What is that you got there? One of those men gave you that? What's the job? When you get your money, his debt's paid. You never go near his family again. (gasps) Did you have any idea there'd be a second car? He said there'd be another car to hold us up. Whose money do I have? I'm gonna tell you something. Anybody finds out we're both dead. That's why this driver's gotta go, Bernie. He's gotta go.
remember this? No. Any dreams you have or plans for your future, I think you're going to have to put that on hold. For the rest of your life, you're going to be looking over your shoulder. Wow, Pascal, you chose this film. It's a belter. Tell me yeah. why you tell me why you like this one. Do you know? For me, the the more I was thinking about the selection, which was driven first by a, a, the mounting campaign, the more I realised that this is actually probably an example of undercommunication. That is to say, the movie itself is far far better than what the marketing campaign managed to express and and capture, which I think is also what comes with benefit of, of hindsight. But it had everything that I would want as a moviegoer because it was enthralling, it was is haunting. You think about it afterwards in terms of what you can see, what you can hear, but also how much you feel for the main characters and twists and turns and so on. And when you kind of look into it, as, as I've done and, and start to read up some old interviews from 10 years ago sometimes, you, you understand that there was also a commitment by all the filmmakers, including Ryan Gosling, who I think became a producer at some, at some stage, but also Ron Perlman and Charlie Brooks and Brian Craxton. They just loved the story and they put their, their, their kind of hole into it because the movie got delayed by which time Ron Perman had become almost like an uber star, you know, and he was still interested. I remember the director asking, well, why do you still want to be in my little film? I mean, this is a movie that um, only, I know, only cost $50 million <laughs> to make, but then make this money tenfold since. And Ron said, I just want to be that character. I want to play that character. So you end up with this, this kind of um, cast and crew commitment to telling a story and a almost like a dare, almost like a bet of, can we combine um, a very stylish movie that would be more akin to what you would expect in an outhouse mo movie, and can we also bring the action and the kind of the uh, the pace of maybe what has been sometimes poorly compared to the Fast and Furious and, and, and other franchises. Uh, and, and for me, I mean, since we did the... Um, the research for marketing campaign today. I've had the Drive uh, soundtrack album on the loop, you know, almost every other day as well. Oh, fantastic. Now, um, I watched this again last night, and I say again because at first I wasn't, I wasn't actually sure whether we'd actually seen it. Um, I think I may have confused it with another film called Baby Driver mm. uh, at one point. Um, and I maybe thought that that's the film I'd seen before. But we have actually seen it because I did recognise quite a lot of the scenes when we watched it again. Fantastic soundtrack, as you said. And actually quite a violent film, you know, quite mm. a lot of graphic violence. Initially, I did think... Ryan Gosling's character, I don't know whether it was deliberate or not at the time, but he seems to be very deadpan, very little emotion, you know, one um, expression on his face pretty much throughout the entire film. And I just thought, is he is he deliberately not acting or is this in, on, intentional? But you actually explained that to me in the green room, that they were trying to create that sort of mysterious, almost like Clint Eastwood, man with no name sort of vibe. Is that right? Yeah, well, if you look at the uh, you know the the details of the movie, whether you go on IMDb the, or Wikipedia and so on, uh, the character is known as the driver. The driver. That's yeah. it. Um, when you also remember that this is 
taken from a novel, then you have that dark, gritty side of you know those kind of uh, novels that they capture very, very well. I, w- I remember saying to Denise when it, it began, saying you could watch this in black and white, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because the way in which they capture particularly um, the nightscape, uh, you know, I've, I've covered this with Nightcrawler as well in one of the reviews. And so you have this situation where you have obviously this individual who is almost to me behaving like a um, like a samurai or certainly a, a ronin trying to make a living in between sharing his time between being a, a stunt driver for hollywood movies and a getaway driver for criminals mm-hmm. but literally not getting involved emotionally with anybody you just kind of single-mindedly thinking i'm going to do this for a while make enough money and then leave this this world and of course his plans do not um, come true because he's involved and drawn into the world of uh, criminals and i mean i, I think I, I would say that it's one of the time where ron perlman was really awful mm-hmm. as a character and you, know, you mm-hmm. want you, you love hating him um, because you, you could see that there were some nuances with Charlie Brooks' character and certainly Brian Craxton who played the kind of uh, flawed mentor for for the character of the driver. But Ron Perlman was such a uh, wonderful, wonderful buddy. So you end up in a situation where you tell the story in a way that there's moment of uh, where there's nothing much happening. The music takes over, the camera slows down. It's almost kind of contemplative in nature. And then bam! violence and the action kind of catches you off guard very much like i've seen in japanese or hong kong cinema yeah yeah so pascal let's have a look at the marketing Mm. now you've done quite a lot of research on this and 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 what never ceases to amaze me (laughs) is that some of these films that you think well they actually didn't do much did they but actually you've uncovered a lot of stuff here well, there was things I remembered, but of course, the the wonders of of, of the internet. Uh, disappointingly, though <laughs> the the official website is no longer with us, whether yeah. it's US or UK. Yeah. Um, the social media have been taken over by the publishers themselves, so you can't find a dedicated um, network for Drive. The Facebook has been left, you know, um, neglected. But what is interesting for me is to take you back to May. 2010. Now, this movie was released officially on the 16th of September 2011, but in May 2010, very much this idea of lesson to be derived from film marketing, the director went to the Cannes Film Festival before they even shot a single scene from the movie, <laughs> uh, from the movie with um, essentially made up um, promotional posters or mock-ups to secure interest, financial interest, but also to start to whet the appetite of the um, the audience as well as the, the critics. And to me, that's an important element of the last time and time again with um, kind of independent filmmakers, some of those who have an entrepreneurial mindset, which is you start early, don't start to talk about the film when it's finished or when you're about to film. You know, you literally start a year earlier, May 2010, which means that a year later, in May 2011, when the movie is in competition at the Cannes Film Festival, then not only people uh, waiting for it, this anticipation, but you are essentially greeted with a 15-minute standing ovation <laughs> and you're given the uh, festival uh, honour, the award for Best Director for Drive. That's that's incredible, isn't it? But a, a lesson that we can all learn, you know, you, you should start to t- to tease your product well in advance of the launch. It's it's just good marketing techniques. 
which we don't do enough. You know, me and I talk ourselves a lot in saying, you know, we need to start to tease. Um, talking of teasers, so at the, at the same time as obviously the Cannes Film Festival, uh, bear in mind that when a movie is in competition, only those who have been lucky enough to be in the screening room at the time and the during screen have seen. So nobody saw Drive, they just knew that it won Best Director. So creating a sense of, well, what is it? Who is this? So they released a teaser trailer and very, very cleverly, I think, for the teaser trailer in mid-2011, not only did they combine a montage of the film, but they also introduced this element, which is an important part of the experience, um, a song, A Real Hero by College. And mm -hmm. this is when you start to be introduced to that kind of 80s um, soundscape. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has that 80s vibe, doesn't it? You mm. know, it's, there's a lot of bright lights, lots of neon. And yeah, the music is definitely, definitely 80s, which... I wholeheartedly approve of. <laughs> I mean, it's just just wonderful. So then you can kind of follow the chronology of the marketing campaign. So then a couple of months later in June, they released a, a second teaser trailer where we see more about the character of the driver and what would become an, the iconic jacket, you know, with the white jacket, kind of bomber jacket with the yellow scorpion um, mm -hmm. in the back. And we're, we're going to come back to this in a moment. Then in July, you have the full-length trailer that we just watched all of us a, or heard of a, a moment ago. And then from July you know, to the release in September, there's not much time left. So there's a, a bit more done in terms of releasing stills, posters, uh, a bit more done in terms of, of of the music, but very very quickly they have to rely on what we're going to come back to into some form of PR stunts. But actually, mm -hmm. the marketing almost took a different direction. You had the effort of the production company and distributors, and then you had the reaction mm -hmm. of the audience. And there was certainly this strange mood and movement starting to kind of happen, particularly on the internet, where people say, "Hang on a minute, I went to see the movie on the basis of the trailer." but the movie is not at all as suggested by the trailer. Hang on a minute, I've seen the poster, I've seen the typeface with the neon lights and so on. I thought it was gonna be a comedy or family movie and I feel like I've been misled. And you had this kind of parallel forces of the distributors doing their very best to promote a film that they were very proud of, but some strange reactions which um, created some unexpected controversy that was being kind of captured and replayed by the media. This is really strange, isn't it? I had not really picked up on it. I don't think the typeface jarred with me at all. But not now I'm all. actually now I'm actually looking at the posters. I can I can I sort of perhaps understand why people might have thought that, but maybe not to the not to the level of some of the comments that you've um, highlighted in the notes here. Um, but uh, yeah, I suppose it, you could create. It, it just goes to show that. Even with the, some of the things that you might think as throwaway as a typeface can have a major effect on the perception that it creates with people. That's quite quite astonishing, really. Yeah, and, and for me, it was more, I was thinking, okay, well, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, for sure, but not to the point where you're going to be quite, you know, uh, belligerent about it. I mean, uh, you got to the point where, from a PR point of view, somebody actually sued the uh, um, production company <laughs> saying that your trailer is misleading. You kind of conned me into saying something, and my position would be the reverse. I would say, wow, this movie is so much better than what I was able to kind of glean from the trailer. Because for me, the trailer that we saw, which is the international uh, trailer, which is perhaps one of the challenges, was more to showcase 
all the different actors that agreed to be part of this amazing kind of production. I, I think that there was probably opportunity, if time had been available and maybe budget, to create different trailers to capture different facets of the story, such as, for example, the, the music more, maybe the the, the, the nightscape. And, and I would say that there are moments where you've got just a scene of driving into, through the streets of Los Angeles with that kind of 80s neo-noir, almost cyberpunkerish, you know, music. It's just delightful. And nothing will happen apart from a guy driving around, but to me, it's just part of it. So, yeah, it, it's just been really quite fascinating to realize that people got a bit upset about, about it. To the extent of filing a lawsuit. <laughs> I mean, come on. I, I mean, I hope this woman who filed this lawsuit lost, and I hope mm. the court awarded um, damages to the filmmakers. I mean, who really can be offended by something like that? That they, they think they were misled by a trailer for a film. Come on, wake up. Mm. Wake up, for goodness sake. That is just unbelievable. But, gosh, it's the world that we live in now. Yeah, so for, so for me, I don't believe for a moment that the marketing campaign was, was misleading. I think the marketing campaign liked maybe a dimension, you know, should be a mm -hmm. bit, bit more diverse, but of course you and I are not privy of the limitations, you know, that, that I mentioned a moment ago. Because when you consider, you know, again, the storyline and you read about the ambition for the director, he wanted to, to literally create a um, fairy tale for grown-ups mm -hmm, with everything mm -hmm. that comes with it. So you have the version for children where the violence, everything else is torn down. And this is essentially, you know, the, the, the story tale they want to kind of fairy tale story they wanted to share. And once you kind of understand that was his intention, and then he borrowed from, you know, live and die in LA, for example, he mentioned that uh, many of the movies that we've mentioned, you kind of go, this is just so, so good, you know, and we should, you know, enjoy it and continue to do so. But anyway, putting to one side the, the weird, weird reaction and controversy, what the filmmakers were able to do then is lean on the I would say the core assets of mm. the jacket, mm. interestingly, the soundtrack again, and of course the car, because it is about you know driving a car. So Film District would be the, the major brand for the promotion and the distribution of the film, created a competition on Twitter, whereby they would upload updates and so on, and people could win a replica of the Scorpion jacket. You have people actually making the jacket themselves and putting pictures of themselves wearing the jacket at the movies to go and see Drive again, and putting this on, on Twitter. It had reaction from both the, the filmmakers and the fan. But I have to say, it's a good jacket, isn't it? Oh, yes, it's a good, it's a, it's a smart car as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, so talking about the, the soundtrack, uh, this idea of, um, for me, what is interesting about the soundtrack, I've listened to it quite a few times, you, you have the elements where the, you've got really the whole range of what the 80s was all about when we started to introduce, you know, keyboards and, and the synth. Sometimes it's quite melancholic and it's almost kind of uh, um, ambient. And sometimes it's very romantic, actually, and, and almost quite innocent and naive in nature. Did you find that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they were able to then, you know, kind of capture that into an album that was released at the same time as a film. Of course, you went online and uh, people are still to this day talking about particularly the music video of a real hero that um, we, we talked about it. My favorite, actually, is the one that is in the opening credits called Night Call, which I think uh -huh. is interesting, yeah. where yeah. all you see is essentially is a POV of the driver. 
um, with, with the letters, you know, that we mentioned a moment ago, um, it's just brilliant. But talking about the car, of course, you know, they had to lean on that as well. So they partnered up with Ubisoft to create a mobile game for iOS and Android, where you would drive the car, obviously. Um, and I did my research because I'm not really uh, into cars, but a Chevrolet Impala that actually, um, according to urban legend, Ryan Gosling repaired himself and wanted to kind of be one with the machine in us part of the film. So you could play the game on your mobile phone uh, in particular, and maybe an early version, the kind of PR stand that you've mentioned to me on um oh my goodness what's the game that you play on the on the island sorry uh, fortnite um, fortnite you know where fortnite sometimes becomes a destination for a brand positioning so they were able to also include the the car driven by the driver uh-huh. in a popular kind of playstation game called um forza motorsport number four so <laughs> it was all there if you like you know to really to be to be appreciated but it feels to me like if you just take on all the marketing messages and then you sit down and watch the movie and let yourself kind of taken by by the universe that they've created, the film is so much better than marketing campaign would invite you to to believe and think. Yeah, I agree. And I think that uh, I suppose in hindsight, and hindsight is a wonderful thing, but mm. maybe, I mean, I'm not endorsing at all this lunatic that sued them, <laughs> uh, but maybe the marketing am- campaign didn't, actually accurately portray the movie as it as it should have done and and that's what created that situation maybe if, if they'd been a little bit more clear what the genre was maybe mm. focus more on the music in advance maybe focus more on the the, the what was that um um i remember when we did the review of sea of love a few a few times back uh, and one of the th- the key points of Sea of Love was they wanted to make New York City part of the character of the film. That's right, yeah. And, mm. and I think that in this film, Los Angeles at night, even though they don't sort of focus in on the the recognisable landmarks like the Hollywood sign or, or um, Santa mm. Monica Pier, I think that L.A. was part of the star of the show. It was It was one of the characters. Maybe they should have focused a bit more like that in the marketing as well. Well, they could have done so many things, and, and forgive me, you know, maybe they have done so, but it has disappeared from from mm. view. I mean, that, mm. that's one one of my frustrations as you and I becoming almost film marketing historians. Is that it's not an old film, I mean, two thousand eleven. It's not that long ago, but everything is gone. And I would love to speak to somebody, and we will one day, I'm sure, speak to somebody about saying, you know, it costs just dollars per year to hold the domain name and to archive the website for others to to enjoy. Because actually, if you don't, what is happening is that your web address can be hijacked by somebody else. Because at the moment, you have an internet full of uh, articles, reviews, and more with hyperlinks to a domain name Mm -hmm. that you no longer own and control. Because people assume that, you know, um, drive hyphen movie.com is, is still in existence and, and mm. it's not. So that so to me is is one of um, di- disappointment. But um, I just wanted to kind of quickly ask you then, did you have a favorite moment in, in a film? Very hard question to ask you, but it's such an enthralling story. <sighs> is there a moment when you go, oh, my God? I... I- I think the moments for me that stand out, I mean, I said earlier on that uh, um, Ryan Gosling, to me, on first watch, I thought he he doesn't show any emotion. He's just got this deadpan look on his face. But there are moments in the film, aren't there, where it's almost like a switch gets flicked 
mm. and he turns into a real bad ass. <laughs> uh, and there's the one bit where he just walks into, I think it's a strip club or something, and he walks in with a hammer and he just basically grabs hold of one of the um, the thugs and starts bashing this guy's hand with the hammer. And that's, oh my goodness, that is just so sudden and so such a switch in the, in the character. But that happens a, f- a number of times in the film, hmm. you know, even towards the end when he puts the great big uh, mask on and he goes after Ron Perlman. Again, there's a moment of almost transition. And I think it's those moments in the film that do it for me. Yeah, I would agree, you know, because it's it's back to this idea of the samurai or the running mm. that he's holding it together until bang, you know, he's been pushed too far. That scene you mentioned where so because we know the driver is a Hollywood, you know, stunt driver. So he puts on this kind of latex a mask to mimic, you know, the, the look and feel of perhaps the actor that they meant to be a stunt double for. So he he kind of puts it on almost like to um himself, you know, uh separation with what he's about to do to kill people and he walks very slowly towards that uh, pizza place the music is very haunting as well and in the kind of 80s synth and he looks through the um the the kind of the the glass door and realizes that there are too many of them and therefore retreats and changes his mind i thought you know everything that went on about he was prepared to walk in but then smartly you know part of the art of war you know kind of looking thinking now too many of you i'll wait another day you know you've got all that going on um i, I just think that uh, it was just superbly captured all the way yeah so pascal another great choice mm. another great choice love the um imagery love the 80s vibe and as i say it reminded me of uh, other films like the aforementioned nightcrawler etc etc where la as well was a star of the show so everyone thank you thank you so much for watching or listening to two geeks and a marketing podcast we've really enjoyed bringing you this episode i think the, some of the content we've talked about this week has been absolute phenomenal from a mcdonald's tv ad to a remarkably good film like drive thanks for watching thanks for listening let us know your comments hit us up on twitter hit us up with a comment on the youtube channel until the next time please do go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right i was roger edwards and he was pascal fintoni 